Good morning, Pastor Denny. Uh, once again from Calvary, we're so grateful to have you viewing at home. And Blaze and Julie Barton is with us today. Uh, they work with Chi Alpha at the uh, University of Missouri, and we're just so thrilled to have them. We're going to turn it to Julie, and she's going to share, and then Blaze will bring us a message. God bless you. Open your hearts to receive what God has for you today. This has been a wonderful, wonderful time. We've had a Great spirit of worship this morning and message in tongues, interpretation. And, and God in the message said that in the interpretation that there, there are storms, but he will walk with us through the storms. That we're to look straight into his eyes. Don't look at the storm, but look to him. Amen. And I just want to encourage you at home. Look to the Lord. He will help you through the storm. Praise God. Julie. Amen. Thank you so much, Pastor Denny. We are so excited to be here. And we just want to honor your pastor. Um, October is Pastor Appreciation Month, and it's just so evident how much you love the Lord and how much you love yeah. every single person in this church, in your city, in the world. Like you pray that every time we've been around you, you always pray like those things. Mm. And so we just really appreciate you. Yeah. Um, but this is my very handsome husband, musical preacher man. Oh um, <laughs> so we got married actually a year and four months ago and we met Pastor Denny when we were just dating. So I think it was two or three years ago, mm -hmm. something like that at youth camp. Our worship team was doing worship for SOMO, SOMO <laughs> camp, and um, we got to meet him there. So that was an awesome privilege. But in a few moments, Blaze is actually going to speak a really powerful word about just having clear vision, essential sight in uncertain times. So Stay tuned for that. It's going to be great. But we want to give you a background kind of for what Chi Alpha is, who we are, because some of you have probably heard of it. Some of you maybe not. But what it is is um, the, a, the Assembly of God College Outreach. Like it's um, their college ministry branch. So we are technically a church on campus for college students. Our demographic looks different because we're all college students outside the staff. We're the old people um, in our church. <laughs> True. Um, and then we do weekly worship services. We do it on Tuesday nights instead of on Sunday mornings. We do Bible studies. Um, we do monthly activities, prayer, service things, all kind of stuff for people to get involved and stay engaged and grow in their walks with the Lord. Um, I'm the discipleship coordinator. Blaze is our Serve MU director. He heads up all our different teams um, that serve the campus and serve um, Columbia, and then we both help lead our worship and sound teams, respectively. So we have a lot of fun doing what we do. Um, and the main reason we're on the college campus is to, one, help retain the students that come loving Jesus. This is a scary statistic, but a statistic that was out there a few years ago says that 75% of students that come in loving Jesus their senior year of high school will fall away by December. So we're there to make sure that doesn't happen because yeah. that's terrible, but we're also there to reach people that don't know him at all. Yeah. And so to fulfill that, we kind of have a threefold purpose for Chi Alpha, which is um, we're there to be a community, a home away from home for even non-Christians to feel, feel welcome. A cool story from that is two years ago, we had a freshman come in named Olivia. She knew nothing about God, didn't grow up in church. Um, she knew Jesus died like she knew the story, but that was it. And she came around just because she liked the community we had, just because she wanted friends. She gave her life to Jesus her first semester. She stepped onto her lead our leadership team her 
um, second year, her sophomore year, um, even as a baby Christian growing like wildfire. And she's super smart and dedicated. So she graduated in two years. Never heard of that before. And this year is her first year as an intern with Chi Alpha, and she's already led people to Jesus. So it is so exciting, and we're kind of excited, honestly. I've been in Chi Alpha as a student and staff for 15 years, and I would say this is probably the most fun, exciting year we've had yet, despite all the restrictions with COVID, because God's showing his favor. And so it's been cool to see, like, we have our life groups, because we can't meet in big communities right now. Our campus won't allow it. So our life groups have formed resource groups, which would be like two to four life groups, and they go out and eat ice cream, Blaze had some of his guys to the Kai Alpha house and they watched the Mizzou game last night. Um, Yeah. Sorry, Mizzou. Um, (laughs) But like do all sorts of fun things to build community. And we have way more people this year sticking around that would typically not be, that aren't interested in Jesus at all, but they're sticking around because there's nothing else to do. Nobody else besides campus ministries are doing stuff in person on our campus. So it's crazy because everything's stripped away and God's like, it's okay. I will give them myself. So I'm really excited to see who the Olivia's are this year, like who wouldn't have come around but do. And so our second purpose is that we disciple students like Olivia. We disciple people who have no relationship with Jesus whatsoever, but we also disciple people that come in loving Jesus. And I was one of those people. I grew up in a Nazarene church. Now I'm one of those crazy, like, baptizing the Holy Spirit people, you know, like all that kind of stuff. But, like, I grew grew up with a solid biblical foundation, but I didn't have a full, real, intimate relationship until I came to college. And my Bible study leader met with me and started discipling me. I found out about this Holy Spirit stuff, and I started seeking after it and received that gift. And I used to not like talk. Blaze doesn't believe this. But my baby sister would speak for me in public when I was younger. And it was when I received the power of the Holy Spirit that, like, my confidence grew, insecurities just kind of fell off to the side. And it was still like a push the lost. We're there to reach the lost on our campus. On our campuses, we're actually on three campuses, Mizzou, Stevens College, and Columbia College. And so we're there to see people come to Jesus. And with COVID restrictions, all our normal avenues that we would meet people were completely gone. We couldn't help move in. We couldn't do any of our big events we do on campus. And so we sought after the Holy Spirit. We got creative. And he helped us be creative. And what happened was we had a welcome table that first week of school the whole seven days. We did like a move-in photo booth that some moms would drag their sons to. Then we'd get connected with, so that was fun. But our student leadership team, they went out in pairs every day and just took notes of encouragement to break the ice to start conversation and connect with people, exchange numbers and invite them along. And we connected with over 700 students that first week, even with the restrictions that we had. And so this year, that's made everything else look different too. We meet in home churches for um, our weekly worship services most of the time. Our life groups can't be on campus. They're in people's apartments. Um, Things look really different. But the cool thing is, is that there's even more intimacy built that when people are getting saved, they're getting saved in people's homes. And everybody is there to pray with them and celebrate with them. And we've been doing services for four weeks now. And we've almost had 30 people give their lives to Jesus. So it's like such an exciting year. And we're so thankful for everything that God is doing. We do have, before I hand it over to Blaze, we do have some um, 
informational material on that back. Yeah, brochures, like the pastor's holding up. Um, Back there, if you guys would like to take one or come talk to us, we are missionaries, so we... um, pay for like we raise our budget from churches and people like you choosing to join our monthly support team so if that's something you're interested in partnering with what god's doing um on the college campuses in columbia we'd love to talk to you after service but we thank you so much for letting us be here and i'm going to hand it over to blaze thank you can we give a round of applause i'm grateful for a beautiful wife to do ministry with and your pastor Help me understand that early on, <laughs> before we got married. Um, well, good morning, and uh, we're just so grateful to be here and be a part. I want to say this before I actually dive into the message. <laughs> the worship and the message in tongues, I just want to say, are like a direct confirmation of what I'm about to share. Before I got here, everything that was said, specifically talking about like setting your eyes directly on Jesus, is exactly where I'm headed with this message today. And so I just want to say Jesus is here already. He's moving. His spirit is here. And if we're open to receive, I believe that we'll receive. Um, So if you have your Bible today, I want to invite you to go ahead and turn to John chapter 4. And I want to take a second as you guys are getting ready and opening your word uh, to just encourage you to receive. Uh, Obviously, the Lord is speaking today. And uh, I think it's critically important for us to put ourselves in a posture before the Lord to receive what he wants to speak. And so um, as you're turning there, I just want to pray over the word here and uh, prepare our hearts to receive this morning, if that's okay. Father God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. Father, we thank you for what you're doing in this church. Lord Jesus, I thank you for um, the worship this morning and the hearts that are open uh, to experiencing you. Father, we just pray that our eyes and our ears and our hearts would be open to receive right now. Uh, Father, would you be continuing to confirm what you've been saying so far? And Father, will we put ourselves in a place uh, where we see you more clearly? We set our eyes directly on you and allow you to uh, work in the ways that you want. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you for it. In your name I pray. Amen. All right, so this morning I want to share a little bit with you about what God has stirring in, has been stirring in my heart recently. But something that you should understand about Julie and I, and something that you witnessed already just a little bit, uh, and Pastor Jenny mentioned as well, uh, our heart revolves a whole lot around worship. We are worshipers, we're worship leaders, we love uh, to experience God and the place of worship. And uh, a lot of the time when it comes to hearing from God or uh, feeling encouraged to experience the Lord, we always look to how can I go deeper in my worship, especially when uncertainty and trials are coming our way. And uh, I want to go ahead and just share a little bit of uh, a thought pattern that I've been chewing on and stirring through, uh, trying to understand on a fuller level in regards to worship. And it all has spawned out of the story of the woman at the well. Uh, So now most of us, I'm confident, have heard this passage before. And uh, traditionally, the story goes something like this. Jesus uh, is walking through uh, to Galilee. He meets a Samaritan woman at Jacob's well and asks her for a drink of water. They talk, and in the process, she ends up confessing that she's been married five times and is presently living out of wedlock. He confronts her sinfulness with love. She recognizes him as the Messiah, repents, and rushes off to tell others, shouting, Come, see a man who told me everything I have ever done. We leave encouraged by that story that our sin, no matter how large, can always be forgiven, and we can feel free to share that overwhelming love with other people. 
I'm grateful that every time I've heard this passage and heard that particular sermon, that's always true, and I always leave encouraged. But today, I want to encourage us to take a different approach to the same passage um, that we've heard before. And I'm not here to preach long. In fact, I know lunch is coming, and all of us are hungry. I'm a huge fan of eating, so uh, I don't want to preach very long, but I do want to uh, help us understand how we can relate to the woman at the well especially in today's culture and society. So with that said, if you're taking notes, as Julie mentioned earlier, uh, the title of this morning's message is called Essential Sight. Um, I want to start by recalling a lullaby that I dearly love. Uh, This is a lullaby that my mother used to sing to me when she would rock me to sleep as a kid. And uh, many of you probably know it and know the lyrics, and it goes something like this. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above is looking down in love. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. How many of you know that we have to be very careful about what we allow ourselves to see? The world is full of many unfulfilling, unsatisfying, yet oddly appealing and attractive things for us to look at. And I believe God gave us eyes to see everything that's in front of us so that we can navigate the world accordingly. Without our eyes, beauty is merely an imagination. Light is essentially non-existent. And our ability to interpret all of our other senses accordingly become severely hindered. Our sight is such a valuable part of our everyday life. And I think that I often overlook and aren't fully grateful for my sight. Anybody else relate to that? Now, thankfully, uh, all of us, I believe can see. Uh, All of us, maybe we have glasses and that's okay too, but we can see, right? We can see in front of us. Um, But even though we can see, how many of you know that sometimes the things that we think we see deceive us, right? How many of you know that sometimes we see things that aren't actually there? For me, uh, I am a hands-on kind of guy. I actually got my degree in agriculture uh, from the Mizzou. And uh, one of my passions is working on motors and cars. I actually just bought a boat and working on it. But all too often I find myself um, under the hood of a car and I set down a tool to reach for a bolt or to adjust something specifically, only to find that my tool grows legs and scurries off to Narnia right when I need it again. I look and look and look and I believe with all confidence that I have that I've left it right in the engine bay and 35 minutes and a few choice words later, It's right where I left it, in the engine bay. Sometimes my eyes play tricks on me, and I get consumed with what's the tangible right in front of my face, so so much so that I don't see anything around or deeper. Similarly, as I've been reading through the passage of the woman at the well, I've been realizing more and more just how important my sight is and how deceiving it can be. So if you have your Bibles, let's open up to John chapter 4, verse 1 through 26. I'm going to speed through this as fast as I can uh, so we can continue on. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to get, uh, excuse me, he had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually he came to the Samaritan village called Sakar near the field that Jacob uh, gave his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the walk, sat wearily beside the well around new time. Soon, 
A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. So she said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift uh, God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where do, we, where do I get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I will give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give, give me this water. Then I'll be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you have had, excuse me, you've had five husbands, and you are, now, you are not married to the man that you are living with right now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while the Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worship? Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, and indeed it is here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking to those who will worship in that way. For the Spirit, for God is the Spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Now, in an effort to give us a little clearer sight to this passage, I want to point out a couple of things that, G, that a couple of things that are included in this that are hidden beneath the surface. Jesus leaves Judea to head to Galilee. Now, to get to Galilee, there are two main roads or routes that you can take. One takes you up the Jordan River Valley, where it's a soft, simple, and flat stroll. The other takes you through Samaria, which is a rocky, mountainous terrain that is far from convenient. It's evident that Jesus didn't take the path that he chose by accident. Along the way, he arrives at the well of which Jacob uh, owned in, back in Genesis. And to be exact, this well is the same well where Jacob met Rachel. Um, at that time, Jews and Samaritans were of one common faith, heritage, and devotion. And as it refers to in the text, we see that Jews and Samaritans are at complete odds at this point. So for Jesus to even have a conversation with this woman would be profoundly frowned upon in today's society. Does that sound familiar to today? In that time also, women didn't have much of a place in society. For a man to address a woman in public was improper and unacceptable. Beyond that, even though Jews and Samaritans claimed Jacob was one of their patriarchs, only the Jews were considered clean, uh, a clean people in the eyes of society. And even though all of these things are present, Jesus still makes it a point to break open the boundaries with having a conversation with her. He breaks the boundaries of male and female. He breaks the boundaries of chosen people and rejected people. 
and he ends up having the, com uh, the one of the longest recorded conversations directly with Jesus in the New Testament written. So to say that this moment is important is a slight understatement. But all these things going on, the interesting part is the woman at the well doesn't see any of it. How could reading through this, I, f I find myself asking the question: How could she not see the things going on? So many things are playing together for the sake of her greater good uh, and on her behalf. So many things are pointed in the direction of a powerful transformation for her and her tribe. Just how could her eyes not see that? As I read through this passage over and over, I couldn't help but find myself looking in the mirror. Just like the woman at the well, all too often I find myself uh, with my sight centered on the secular. It's very interesting to consider that each and every time Jesus asks a question or makes a statement that challenges her perspective, she only can see what's right in front of her face. If you consider in verse 7, he asks her for a drink, but she merely acknowledges her earthly belonging to this place, being a Samaritan woman. He then beckons her for living water, knowing that she needs it, and all she can see or all she acknowledges is that she doesn't have a rope or a bucket for such a deep well. He goes on to explain that living water results in eternal life, and again, she simply wants to not be thirsty and not to have to travel to a well again. And for a moment, we see a small change where she begins to see a little bit different, where she acknowledges uh, that he must be a prophet after he says what he says about her marital status. Yet, moments later, she again is consumed with the proper place of worship on the earth. The woman at the well is standing there before Jesus with blurred vision, and her sight is centered on the secular. Now, for a minute, I want to stop, and I want to clarify what the word secular means, because I believe that uh, society and the Christian world, Christian culture, takes such a Christianese, world, a Christianese word excuse me, and distorts it just a little bit. Uh, it, it, in the Christianese world, it even has a mild negative connotation associated with it. But the, the word secular simply means of the world or temporal. Um, so when I say that her sight was centered on the secular, I am merely saying that she is not a raging sinner, but she simply struggles to see the earthly, she, she simply struggles to only see the earthly and temporal things right in front of her face. And this is very interesting to me because of the, socia the society and the world we live in today. I feel like on a day-to-day -day basis, I am much the same. I think everybody can agree that today's world is interesting, to say the least. Um, and we're, we're, we're playing with a hand that was dealt to us that we didn't expect and that we didn't ask for. Um, and we're on top of that, day after day, being bombarded by what to focus on, which is the things that are right in front of our face. Let's take COVID as an ex easy example. Each day, there are new statistics, new cases, and new regulations that get put in front of our face, flashed in, 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 in our TV screens uh, as, a, as a means of telling us to stay safe and stay healthy. Now, don't misunderstand me. I believe that like, there are professional people who are putting research under, like, they're trying to do the best to help this country and push us in the right direction. But I would say it's extremely difficult for us to see what Jesus is doing in the midst of our tribe and in the midst of our world day-to-day -day basis with everything flashing in our face. Never in my life would I have dreamed that I would experience such a season of politics, power, protests, and plague. But here we are, 
and we have to be very aware of how easy it is to only see what's right in front of us. I don't want to be the person that settles for being naive to the fullness of what Jesus is doing right now. I want to be able to hear what Jesus is saying and see exactly what he's doing in the heavenly realm each and every day. I want to understand all of the different preparations taking place that are routed in the direction of the greater good for myself and this country and our people. I want to be able to enlighten my fellow man for the need of living water day after day. But to do that, it's going to require an intentional awareness and continual fight to prevent my sight from being centered on the secular realm. Upon reading through this passage many times uh, and realizing just how evident my innate draw leads me to the things that are easy, I had to ask myself the question, how do I fix this problem? What is the secret sauce to getting a greater awareness on my sight? How do I regain confidence to know that I'm seeing what Jesus is doing in the midst of what's right in front of me? I believe Jesus reveals the answer in verses 22 and 23. I want to reread those really quick. It says, The time is coming, indeed it is here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him in that way. For God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Jesus reveals directly to the woman at the well standing right in front of her the how-to on seeing clearly and repairing her sight. He says we must worship and in spirit and in truth. Instead of having our sight centered on the secular, we need to have our sight centered on the Savior. Jesus is calling us and the woman, uh, excuse me, Jesus is calling that woman and all of the rejected and unclean people of her tribe to set their sights on a Savior and to worship him wholeheartedly. That isn't, uh, that, you ever lose your place in, in your notes? Um, okay, that it wasn't about where they worshipped or who they talked to, but it was about living in perfect harmony through worship. This could be, excuse me, man, I keep losing my passions, forgive me. Um, this would be the hammer that breaks through all of, man-made, all of the man-made boundaries between each of those people and unite each heart in confidently seeing and following the Savior's leading. When this idea clicked in my head, my heart leaped. Um, as I mentioned before, Julie and I are abundantly passionate about worship. Our, our heart's desire is to experience him in deeper worship as often as possible. But as I considered this, I had to ask the question, what does it mean to worship in spirit and truth? To worship in spirit means that worship is originated in the heart, motivi- motivated by all that he's done and our love for him. For the Samaritans and the Jews, it meant that the mechanical and formalistic uh, forms of worship in a specific location did not matter anymore. Um, To worship in truth means that our worship must conform to the revelation of God in Scripture. It must be informed by who God is and what what he is like. It is not meant to be formed by what feels good, but but rather by the light of what's true. Genuine, Christ-exalting worship must never be mindless or based in ignorance, but rather doctrinally grounded and focused on the truth of all we know of our great and true God. Another way to consider this very thought is to have your sight centered on the Savior. 
to worship him deeply, to worship him recklessly, and to worship him with, an, with abandon, to dig in and to not quit, and to allow him to make your vision clear as he works among you. As we wrap up, I want to encourage each of you um, that I believe on a very deep level that Jesus is powerfully and profoundly moving in the midst of the season that we're in. COVID is not going to stop that. The election is not going to stop that. No protests are going to stop that. Um, Just on our campuses, as Julie mentioned earlier, we are seeing people that are profoundly hungry for community and relationship. We've had just under 30 people give their heart to Christ. And I don't believe that's simply for the college campus. I believe that's for right here. I believe likewise the same spirit is here in this church community and the city around you. I believe people are yearning for community and relationship with one another like they never had to before. I believe this city needs you now more than they ever have. But we have to be able to see clearly. I said this in the beginning that that our sight is so incredibly valuable. We have a a dire responsibility as a Christian to evaluate our sight, not just once, but on a continual basis. With that in mind, it begs the question, what is your vision like? What do you see? Are you consumed with what's happening around you right now? Is the world's current state creating fear, stress, or anxiety? Do you struggle to see what God is doing in your midst each day? You know what? Me too. I'm right there with you. And you know what? I believe that's okay. It's okay as long as we recognize it, as long as we become aware of it, and are now in a place where we're encouraged to do something about it. And it's time that we step deeper in our worship. It's time that we worship him in spirit and truth, not with formality or tradition, but with posture and with posture of honor and reverence for the one that says who he is and does what he does. I love that the way that the message puts that same passage, verse 23 and 24, it says, our worship must engage our spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people the Father is looking for, those who are simply and honestly themselves before him in their worship. Those who worship him must do it out of their very being, their very spirits, their very true selves in adoration. I want to encourage you, set your sights on a Savior. Worship him in spirit and truth. Watch your sight become more and more clear. And I'll leave you with one last thought. A song, a lullaby, that I sing to myself often. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above is looking down in love. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. I want to encourage each of us. I was just profoundly encouraged by the worship this morning. uh, And I believe God was just speaking in that message over and over. Set your sights on him and worship deeply. Uh, And so I just want to encourage us, if we can, to, to go ahead and bow our heads and let's pray for a minute, and I just want to encourage us to put ourselves in a place to worship Jesus in spirit and truth, and to evaluate where we're at and what we see. Father, we thank you for what you're doing in this place. God, we thank you for this season. This season is an opportunity for you to show up and do something profound, just like you say you do, and you always do. God, you are faithful, you are true, and we can put our faith in you, Father. And God, I just want to take a minute and, and ask that you would come down on each and every one of us, Lord Jesus, and, and open our eyes, Lord God. Help us to see 
what's, and, and just have a, an honest, real conversation with you about our vision. Do we see as clearly as we should? Are there things in our lives that, that hinder us from seeing clearly? Are we worried? Are we stressed? Are we, do we have anxiety about the circumstances in this world? There are so many things out of control. There's so many things in chaos that we don't expect. But Father, I believe that you are bigger than all of those and you are calling us to stand up in this season and make the most of it, Lord Jesus, to allow you to move through our worship, through our hearts, Lord Jesus, and help us to see you clearly day after day. Father, if, if, if I'm just going to speak for myself, where I can't see and where I have blurred vision, Lord, would you forgive me? Lord Jesus, would you come down and pull the scales from my eyes, Lord Jesus, and help me to see? And if that's you this morning, first of all, I want to take a second. I would not be, I would not be doing my uh, spiritual duty if I didn't ask if there was somebody here that didn't know Jesus. And so if you're in this room and you're hearing this message and you're saying to yourself, man, I can't see. I don't see where Jesus is moving. I, I, can't, I don't see his presence in my life, uh, but I want to. I want to be able to put my faith in him. I want to be able to see him. Or maybe you've, you, you were at that place at one point and, and just lately or recently or set of circumstances, decisions, whatever that looks like, you are not at a place where you know Jesus and you have right relationship with him. If that's you here today, first of all, I want to say you're not alone. There are people um, here who have been in the same place or are in the same place and God is calling them deeper accordingly as well. And two, this is a safe place. This is your family. This is your spiritual body and the people who love you and support you and want to celebrate with you. And so if you're in this room and you want to give your heart to Jesus for the first time or rededicate your heart to Jesus and say, God, I'm all in. I, this season is crazy. I don't know how to handle it. I don't know what I'm doing. You know what? Neither do I, but I want to know and I want to follow you accordingly. That's you in this room. Would you be so willing to just raise your hand really quick? I'm not here to embarrass you. I'm not here to call you out. Every head is bowed and eye is closed. I'm the only one looking around. But if that's you, would you raise your hand right now? I want to pray for you. I want to celebrate with you. I want to rejoice with you. And I want to see you grow. And this family wants to see you grow and experience Jesus on a whole new level, a deeper level. If that's you in this room, would you lift your hand? Is anybody at all? Well, for the rest of us, I want to encourage each of us uh, to just put ourselves in a posture uh, before the Lord. I'm going to open the altars. If you would like to um, just allow Jesus to clear your vision a little bit, to see a little clearer, to ask the question like, where am I at? And, and allow, allow Jesus to honestly evaluate you. Um, I'll be here. I'll pray with you. My wife will be here to pray with you if, if you would like. Um, Pastor Denny will be here. If anybody would like to come forward and just experience Jesus, Personally, we would love the opportunity to worship and pray with you and uh, watch seeds grow and help ourselves to be able to see as clearly he is calling, to, calling us to.